It is so good to be together with you all today. Like Brian said, my name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here as well. Uh, really good to meet you if I haven't got a chance to meet you. Um, today, we are continuing this series that we have been in in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've been with us, you know that, that this series that we've been in really is all about the church. This messy, like broken reality that we call the church. And so week after week, what we've been doing is we've just been asking the question, like, like what is the church all about? What does the church look like and, and how's it supposed to look like? Uh, and really for me, um, when I sort of think about the season that we are in as a church, like as H2O, like I think this series has been really, really timely, right? Really, really relevant for where we're at. See, every year at this time, so many people from the city and from the campus are, are coming through these doors and checking out this church, and everyone seems to be asking that question. What is the church all about? What do we, as the church here, the people of, of God, right, like what do, what do we value? Maybe you're here today and, and you're wondering that very thing, and if, if that's you, I just want to assure you uh, of this, that first and foremost... Above everything else, we as a church are all about Jesus. Just unashamedly, uh, fundamentally, we're, we're seeking to build this church on, on Christ alone. He's the foundation for all we do. He's the reason that we gather. And while I realize that that might sound like kind of a, a cop-out or like, kind of like a Bible school answer or, or something like that, I wanted to, to say that because if we're honest, right, and we, we zoom out, and we look at like the global church, right? The body of Christ all around. It isn't always obvious that it's all about Jesus, right? It's not always clear when we look at the church that, that, it's, that it's all about Jesus. There's this weird gap between what people think about, about Jesus, what they know about him, and what they've seen and what they've experienced in, in the church, right? A lot of people would say, man, I love Christ, right? But then, but then they'd also say, I, I just, I don't love the body of Christ. I love Christ. I don't necessarily love the body of Christ, which is crazy, right? One pastor pointed out that this would be like looking at somebody and being like, I love you. I just don't want to be anywhere near your body. That's, that, like, that's an issue, right? It's a major problem. People really don't like the church. And, and now, uh, to be clear here, like some people's issues with the church are, are completely unfair, right? A lot of what you, you see on social media and TV and stuff like that, like a lot of that really does just boil down to like people don't have issues with church, they have issues just with Jesus, right? And so that's, that's a whole nother thing. But that's not always the case, is it? Right? Oftentimes, people's issues with the church uh, really exist for, for legitimate and, and good reasons, right? Unfortunately, terrible things have been done throughout history by people who claim the name of, of Christ. There's been abuse, oppression, scandal, all this stuff, right? It's like, it seems like every other week on the news, we, we, we read and, and see something. Not to mention all the various sins and, and stuff that pops up in our own hearts and lives, Right? The hypocrisy that, that we see, the church's brokenness is, is just a reality that we can't ignore. We can't minimize it. But even more than that, and, and I want you to hear this, we also can't give up on it. We cannot give up on the church. 
In spite of all the issues and all the sin, as serious as we need to take that stuff, we cannot give up on, on, on the church. If we love Jesus, we can't give up. See, there's another option. And the option for us this morning, aside from walking away, is this. It's our, our big idea for today. The people of God can, can grow more and more into the image of God. The people of God can, can grow more and more into the image and likeness of God. We don't have to walk away from the church. We can more fully become the church, the people of God. Isn't that good news this morning? Today, we're, we're simply going to look at that reality. We're going to see three ways that, that we can sort of grow, three ways that we can kind of close this gap between what God looks like and what we look like as, as the people of God. And I think it's going to be good. So if you have a Bible, you can take it out now. If you don't, you can have those Bibles in front of you. That's our gift to you. Um, and you can meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. And uh, while you're turning there, just a, a quick refresher, if, if you're new and, or you're just wanting to remember what this book is all about. Uh, this is a letter written by a man named Paul. Right? And Paul founded this, this church in Corinth. He had spent a year there sharing all about Jesus with them and sort of getting them established in their faith. But then he leaves, as missionaries and church planners often do. He leaves to go and share about Jesus in all of these other places. And while he's out doing that, after some time passes, he gets word that this church in Corinth was a complete mess. <laughs> That, that, that they were like really in shambles. There were theological issues, organizational issues, really major moral issues. Anything kind of scandalous you can think of, it was probably happening in, in Corinth. It's like that saying, like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It was like that. What, what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth, except for in this case, because Paul, like, heard about it. <laughs> he heard about all of this mess that was happening, and so he starts to write to these people, and he starts to address these issues. And here's what he says. Verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? That's a bold question for him to ask, right? Are you not still worldly? Are you not just like everyone else in the world, just like the people who live as though the world is all that there is? Are you not worldly? More than likely, the Corinthians, as they're hearing this, they would have pushed back a little bit. It had been like, no, <laughs> we're actually highly spiritual. The Corinthian church sort of considered themselves as like these spiritual elite experts in the things of God, right? Able to see things that the ordinary average Joe wasn't able to, to see. This was probably uh, because of influence in the culture around them, right? The general Mediterranean area was actually known for producing some of like the great philosophical minds of all time. Right, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, like all of this stuff came out of that area, like area. And so this philosophical like culture sort of started to trickle in and began to influence the church. 
And so people in the church now are starting to walk around and they're puffing themselves up just like these philosophers and they're trying to show off their great wisdom and their spiritual prowess. And they get so caught up in in this that they sort of turn against each other. They get consumed with their, their own needs. They quarrel and argue over who's the best, who's the most spiritual. They get jealous over like who gets the most attention and applause, all of this stuff. And suddenly there's a gap, right? There's a gap that emerges between how the church was meant to look when when Paul planted it and how it was looking. And so Paul speaks into it, right? He says, I know you think you're so spiritual. You think you're way up here, but actually like you're way down here. You're you're worldly. It's It's like you're infants, babies, like spiritually. And I think that's like an interesting way to think about it. I, I shared a, a couple weeks back that Lauren and I, my wife, um, are, are new parents. Our son James is now a little more than three months old. Um, and one of the things that we have noticed about being new parents is that babies have a lot of needs. <laughs> they, they, they need a lot of things, right? Sleep, diapers, attention, right? And all of this stuff is really important, but, but more than all of that, like, it seems like he needs milk the most. <laughs> like, all the time, he, he wants milk. It's really interesting. And, and what I love about this is, like, when we give it to him, this is, like, basically everything that he needs. It provides for him all the nutrition that he needs. It provides some comfort uh, that he needs. And so we, we give him, like, milk, like, as much as he needs in this stage. But here's the thing. As he grows and as he gets older and older, if Lauren and I don't like help him mature and we don't eventually introduce like solid foods, then, then like, yeah, he'll survive like for a time, but he's not going to mature. His growth is going to be stunted. And I think that's what Paul is sort of getting at here, right? That, that the church was full of people who, who they were saved, but they were stunted, Right? They were Christians, but they weren't really growing. They weren't really maturing. They weren't moving past themselves and their own needs and all of the things that they wanted. And I think, if we're honest, this sounds a whole lot like the modern-day church here and now, doesn't it? Sounds a whole lot like us. We can get so focused on, on me, my, my comforts, my preferences, right? My style of music, whatever style of preaching we like. We love going to church, that's fine. But we don't love talking about like, like being the church, right? We don't love living it out at home and around our friends and, and work, right? Because that would focus on others and we're focused on our own needs. And so what ends up happening is we stay in this sort of like constant state of immaturity. We're saved, but we're stunted. And so Paul is saying, listen, this does not reflect the life of Jesus. There's a gap because of this. There's a gap between what the church is meant to to look like and and how it actually looks. And so we need to fill this gap. The first uh, way that I want us to see that we can do that is, is that we need to mature beyond just thinking about our own needs to the point where we can start to think about the needs of others. This helps fill the gap for the church. We need to mature past just me and what do I need to the point where we're able to think about the needs of others. This is how we begin to close the gap, but that's not all. 
Jumping back in, halfway through verse 3, Paul goes on. He says, are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. That's pretty amazing when you think about it, right? This other section here opens up again with another bold question, right? Just like the first section. Paul here asks, like, are you not acting like, like mere humans? And that word mere implies a lot, right? It implies that they weren't acting like humans who lived by the Spirit. They weren't acting like humans who had something special to offer. No, they were just like, like mere, mere humans. People, again, that just looked like everyone else. And you know what's interesting is, is you want to know how everyone else looked in the world? Beyond just like the philosopher, philosophy and stuff like that, everyone else looked like pretty divided at this time. They were divided. They were defensive. They were competitive with each other to like an unhealthy extreme. And all of this started to leak in to the church, right? We've talked about this in, in weeks past. Like they were forming these factions around their favorite leaders, some people were like, I'm on team Paul. Other people were like, I'm on team Apollos. And they're getting all geared up, excited about their own team and their own leader. It's like they're getting ready for like a battle against each other. And so Paul has to step in again, and he sort of changes the whole narrative. He switches it from like a picture of battle to like this gentle picture of agriculture, <laughs> like this, this planting uh, analogy, right? And this analogy makes it clear that, that neither leader, Paul or Apollos, was really competing against each other at all. He says there were both servants, servants on the same team. You see, to him, really, God was the only one that, that could ever be worthy of like the, this level of loyalty and excitement and commitment that they were giving to these leaders. And so something in his mind had to change. All that they were doing was creating division and unhealthy competition, just like the world around them. And when I think about that, I'm just really glad that, that we're not like that at all, <laughs> right? I mean, I can't think of any examples in our world today where we're, like, divided or on two different sides or anything like that. I don't know. Um, we're so divided, right? We're divided as a nation, even as churches at times, around so many different issues. Some believers land in one place on some issues, some land in another. And while debating and discussing like the nuance and complexity of, of all this stuff is really healthy, sometimes we reach a point where we end up like coming at each other, tearing each other down. Other people who Jesus loves, image bearers of, of Christ, we're tempted to, to like, like demonize them, exaggerate their faults, and minimize our own, right? To talk about them and, and just make, do whatever we can to ensure that our position sounds like the only reasonable option. We struggle with this in the church today. It's not just in the world. 
And so Paul's saying, you don't look like Jesus when you live like that. You don't look like Jesus. There, there's a gap between the way of Christ and this, this way that, that we're living. What if instead of like, of like idolizing leaders and then demonizing other leaders, what if we like started to like pray for them? Isn't that, that what, what Jesus said to do anyway? Like if you really see the other side as the enemy, like shouldn't we just like be praying anyway? Right? See, see, we need to mature to the point where we seek the eternal glory of God more so than the temporary glory that comes when our side is right. That's the second point. We need, we need to fill the gap by, by like maturing to this place where we care more about God being glorified than just like this temporary glorification that we get when, when we're right. right. And I know issues are important and we need to talk about these things and have healthy dialogue, but man, when, when we do it and we get so divided against our brothers and sisters in, in Christ, there's a gap. There's a gap in, in between the church of Jesus and, and his people. So we need to close the gap. Let's keep going. This, this third section. I'm at verse 10 now, jumping down. It says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Notice he says, by the grace God has, has given me. It's not by his effort, right? I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, the day, will bring it to light. Get this, he says, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Okay. So th there's a lot there, <laughs> right? No bold question to open up this section, but, but sort of like a whole bold story. He tells uh, this, this other story and paints this other picture, again, for the people's growth and maturity. And it's this picture of like architecture, right? He's gone from parenting to agriculture, and now he's on architecture. He's like a jack of all trades. And I think the reason why he's telling all of these different stories is because he's trying to like get by people's like guards. He wants them to think deeply about their life. He wants them to reflect on how they're living the things that they're really caring about, the choices they're making. And so he gives this illustration. And the point of it is essentially like, if you say that Jesus is your foundation, then, then what will you use to build your frame? If, if Jesus is the foundation, then, then what are you using to build the frame? And he gives these two options, right? These two groups of materials. There's gold, silver, costly stone. And then there's wood, hay, and straw. Now, I'm not a builder or anything like that or an architect, but you can sort of tell, like, one of these groups of materials is more valuable than the other, right? One of them would survive a, a fire, right? The gold, silver, and costly stone. But the rest, the wood, the hay, and the straw would literally be fuel on the fire. And so he's saying to them, like, like think about your life. 
your goals, your dreams, the things that consume your mind. Think about those things and, and ask yourself, like, what am I trying to build? What am I trying to build, really? Are these worthy pursuits to build my life on? If the foundation is Jesus, if you're already a believer in Jesus and you're all about him, like, like how are you going to live? How are you going to live your life? They're asking this question, and I think we need to ask this question of ourselves as well. <clears throat> See, the reality is you can be a Christian and still like basically live for yourself for a time. You can, you can be a Christian and still stay immature for a time, but the good news that we're seeing here is that you don't have to. <laughs> you can grow, you can mature, you can move past these things. In fact, he's saying that it's urgent that we seek to do this. He says, a day is coming when everything we're all about, everything we care about, everything we're building toward, it's all going to be brought to light. It's all going to be obvious, laid bare, our motives, our values, the decisions that we make, all the stuff that we keep a secret, right? We can fool others for a time. We can even fool ourselves, but we can't fool God. It's all going to be found out. Now, the good news in, in this text is it says, like, while you'll, while you'll still be saved, right? If your foundation is on Christ, this isn't talking about your salvation. You will still be saved, right? But it says you'll experience loss. It'll be like a person escaping from a burning building. They get out alive, but they lose everything that they held valuable in, in the fire. And so he's asking us this question, like, if you're a believer in Jesus... What are you building your life on? If your foundation is Jesus, like he's saying, let's live our lives in a worthy way of that. This is how we close the gap. <laughs> we need to realize the urgency of our own spiritual growth. That's like the final way that I see in this text that we, that we can begin to close this gap. Realize the urgency of our own spiritual growth because I think that, that when we do that and when we begin to like close this gap between what, how the church looks and how Jesus' life looked, then we begin to start to see like change in our lives and in the world around us, right? The church, as the scriptures say, is, is the hope of the world. And so here's how I wanna wrap all this up today. As you're thinking about all this stuff and you're, sort of pondering your, your own heart and thinking about the things you've been seeking after and the way that you've been living, I just want you to consider just like one more thing. See, there's, there's one more gap in all of our lives. And it's, it's this gap that exists between us and God. And it's a gap that, that we've created because of our own sin. And we know because of the gospel, that the only thing that can span this gap, the only thing that can cross the divide that we've created between us and God is Jesus. Not our achievements, not our own maturity, not all the efforts that we put in. It's just Jesus and him crucified on our behalf. And so as we close here today with this time of worship, I just want to invite you to reflect. Just, just to think about Jesus about him and him alone. He's what we're all about. He hasn't given up on you, no matter how broken you might feel. 
He's here with us now by his spirit. He loves you so, so much. Not only is he the one who saves us, he's the one who matures us. And so let's just spend some time drawn near to him uh, with the rest of our day and with this time of worship. Will you pray with me? And, and then we can do that together. <clears throat>